Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Hey everyone, this is John Roga from Movie Talk. By now, you've likely heard about Disney Plus, the new streaming service that includes Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. With all of these amazing brands in one place, Disney Plus has one of the most incredible libraries in the entire streaming landscape. And it's all ad-free. From beloved classics like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves to today's blockbusters like Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame to critically acclaimed documentaries like National Geographic's Free Solo, the content on Disney Plus is truly unparalleled. Disney Plus also offers some of the most beloved TV shows of all time, including 30 seasons of the Emmy Award-winning animated series The Simpsons. And if that weren't enough, Disney Plus has also rolled out a host of originals like The Mandalorian, the first-ever Star Wars live action series and high school musical the musical the series a very meta take on the beloved film franchise it's no wonder disney plus has become one of the most talked about streaming services of 2019 so don't miss out sign up for disney plus now and start streaming all this great content today napa know this month napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash like a five quart jug of napa full synthetic motor oil for just 16.49 with savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
On another live episode of Collider Movie Talk, the director for RoboCop Returns has been found. Kathleen Kennedy's future may be uncertain, and we got a Dracula spinoff movie just when you thought Invisible Man was enough. We got Dracula coming out, too. We're going to talk about all of that on a brand new episode of Collider Movie Talk live this morning at 9 a.m. once this logo is done being shown on the screen. There you go. Welcome. How are you doing, everybody? Sitting in again for the lovely Perry Nemiroff, who is three days deep in Cabo, having a blast. And if you haven't seen that video of her doing some bungee jumping, which is really sold her on the trip, go and watch that on the Collider Video Instagram or Collider Video Twitter. It's a lot of fun to see her. And she goes full bore into it. This is, she doesn't fall off that thing. She fully jumps out, which scares <laughs> the hell out of me. So there you go. I'm your host, John Roca, today. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of great stuff to talk about. And I can't do it without two incredible people sitting by my side here. The first is the lovely Haley Fouch. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Excellent. I'm excited. Are you excited? I am excited. Let's go. We Let's got get Robocop. To it. I'm excited. Robocop. Come on. I'll buy that for a dollar. And then on the end there, the editorial lead over at Adam Tickets as Alicia Grasso. My first time doing anything yes. with you. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. How are you? Good. What's the t-shirt? Uh, it is uh, Vampire Fangs. Oh, so, that's it. Yes. It's not uh, from a movie or any kind of Rocky Horror or nothing. No, no. Okay. It's just right. just a love for the general just genre. my brand. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get to that story a little bit later on. Certainly on the show today. But we start off first with this story of RoboCop Returns. This is fascinating. We were just talking, Haley and I, off off uh, uh, camera, and she was saying, this sounds like your kind of story. Yes, it does. Finally, a little <laughs> RoboCop action. And we get, uh, uh, it's, it was announced by, uh, by MGM that uh, Abe Forsyth is being tapped to direct this film. THR reported it first. Uh, he's coming off uh, his recent film, Little Monsters, and of course, before that, Down Under. Uh, this time, RoboCop, uh, it's getting the Halloween Terminator Dark Fate treatment, uh, which essentially means they're picking up right after the original film, the Paul Verhoeven 1987 film, and the less said about RoboCop 3, the best. Uh, original screenwriters Ed Newmeyer and Michael Miner are producing the film, along with Alice Entertainment's Richard uh, Suckle. They wrote the original version of the sequel script with screenwriter Justin Rhodes, who just did Terminator Dark Fate. So this is an interesting... There's a lot to talk about here that's very, very interesting. Just wanted to give you a little background on that and who's involved, but Haley, I go to you first on this um a hearing all these hearing all these people involved on the heels of the charlie's angels flop on the heels of the terminator dark fate not doing so well on the heels of all these reboot remakes not really capturing the public's imagination does this seem like a wise decision first the director yes but the idea of doing it making it a direct sequel to the 1987 original mm. well it didn't work for terminator in terms of money but right. it did work very well for halloween mm -hmm. so no, I'm on the same page. I mean, when I wrote up the news yesterday, I was very much like, what a choice right now yeah. after this year's box office. Because there are like, there are like yeah. nine different IP titles that just crashed and burned. Uh, it's it's a definitely a risky time for it. However, if they, I think if they have a really strong take on it, it could work because themes of sort of technology and identity and law are so much in the conversation right now mm -hmm. that there's a lot to work with there. And I do think Abe Forsyth is a really interesting, uh, unexpected, but well-fitting well choice, mm -hmm. particularly if you've seen Down Under, which has a very mean sense of humor, yeah. uh, as does RoboCop. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and wasn't little Mon- didn't little monsters have a, a race element to it as well, a racial element to it as well, or did uh, did, did either of those films have a racial uh, element? I thought I'd read not, that. Well, they down Under did. just didn't. Down not, Under did. Little down monsters. Under did. Okay. Yeah. So he has that in his toolbox uh, yes. as a theme, at least in one of his movies. So you talk about pol- uh, police, and certainly nowadays, this idea of uh, this uh, racial racial profiling, or you know, people kneeling during football games to try to protest what they see as police injustice this once again because people if you remember the 1987 robocop film certainly was topical for what was going this idea of a police state this idea of like people being told what to do being controlled that was a big fear in the 80s i remember i was there uh and so to see it kind of kind of circling back is Mm -hmm. very interesting and do you agree that Forsyth is the right person to tackle this alicia and do you want to see him tackle these kinds of issues I really like him as a director. Mm. Um, I It'll be interesting to me. I think it will be interesting to see because both of his movies are very like dark kind of black comedies. Mm-hmm. And while the original Robocop definitely had really dark comedic elements, it wouldn't at all have been classified as a comedy. And so it'll be interesting to me to see if he can kind of channel his natural instincts to want to lean into the comedy mm-hmm. and dial that back a little bit to have kind of that that black humor in it. But... Um, being able to actually kind of layer that with nuance and saying something because yeah. I, that's the thing I worry about is a lot of these movies is they don't really have all the commentary that they did in the originals. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping this isn't just kind of a straight action sci-fi movie. Like I hope there's a little bit more depth to it, yeah. but I really like him as a director and I think it's a really intriguing choice. I'm just wondering if he can kind of fight his, what seems to be his natural tendencies to lean all the way into the humor mm. and um, kind of use that when he needs to as a tool rather than as the kind of overall brush that he paints with, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know, Haley, go back to you. You mentioned the Halloween situation. They were successful with $10 million. Mm-hmm. Whatever the production budget was, it was very low, which so yeah. it kind of led to them making a, a large profit overall. So uh, it, do you hire a, a director from a, a smaller independent vibe so that mm-hmm. you keep that budget low, seeing the, the mistakes that Terminator Dark Fate made, to a degree the mistakes that Charlie's Angels made in terms of the budget, do you see that they, them going with a smaller budget here to do Robocop Returns? I hope so. Yeah. I really do. I mean, we. I, I think it was a few movie talks ago that I was on, we were talking about this, and, and Perry and I really mm. were like, stop doing your budget so inflated yeah. because yeah. you're just not going to succeed that way unless you're Disney, basically, right mm. now, or one of Universal's two top franchises. Mm. Right. Uh, I, I very much hope so, and there's nothing inherent in the RoboCop design that demands a, a profoundly mm. large budget. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, you know, the sort of the genius of Rob Bottin's design is the simplicity yeah. of it, and that's mm-hmm. why it endures. I mean, like, look at something like Upgrade. You know, like, Lee Wanell yes. did Upgrade, right. and I loved Upgrade, yep. and I feel like that is a, I feel like it's gaining more appreciation now, and it kind of has a feel of almost like a culty movie. But um, I wish more people had seen that movie because it's so good, and that, to yeah. me, was very much like, this is what you can do like there's still room for stories like this here and you don't have to do it on a huge budget. You can make a really good movie on a small budget and have it be really solid. Yeah. It'll be interesting because the Mm -hmm. 2014 remake from Jose Padilla, that was a hundred million dollar budget for that movie. It made 214, $242 million uh, worldwide. So you look at it. Well, 
does that warrant then going back to a larger budget? I mean, I would hesitate, like, as you said, Haley. The design does not ne- necessarily need to lend itself to this huge technological thing. In fact, the original wasn't a huge technological mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It was just this side of a B movie, uh, RoboCop. So it's like, okay, well, what do we? Why would you go back and spend the hundred million dollars? I'm in that place now. Twenty tops. Yeah. Twenty tops, mm-hmm. and that includes talent. You know, so that, so let's swing swing back around to that. Peter Weller, obviously uh, the original RoboCop. Uh, Joel Kinnaman in the in the remake. Do if we're doing a direct sequel, are we bringing Peter Weller back and de aging him? What are we doing here? Or setting oh. it now? Right, exactly. Oh, setting it now. So he's mm-hmm. been yeah. a cop said, for or, this long. Yeah, or you can. Interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be following the Halloween and Dark Fate track mm-hmm. that uh, right. they've set a precedent with, I guess. Uh, I I was thinking about this a lot yesterday, like who I would want to see under there, and um, I, I think that's interesting to bring back Peter Weller. Now I don't know if it has the same impact as bringing back, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis or mm. Linda Hamilton. Just maybe by nature of the face that's some, or the fact that so much of his face is covered, like <laughs> it's not quite the same impact. Right. I, but. Point being, I was like, I want to see Michael Shannon play RoboCop. That's where I landed. Yeah, I could see that. Absolutely. What about you, Alicia? Oh, man. Now I'm just thinking about Michael Shannon. Uh, (laughs) I do that all the time. Dang. Now I'm I'm kind of stuck on him. Um, It's interesting because I think you could put a number of actors in here. I I, I honestly have to say I don't really have a specific choice for this because, Mm -hmm. again, it's he's covered the whole time. And so you kind of need somebody that can just kind of um, portray that kind of you know, kind of stoic mm-hmm. vibe, but mm-hmm. deliver those kind of deadpan liners. Um, man, I don't know. But now I have Michael Shannon yeah. in my head. <laughs> Sorry, I and did I'm, it to you. <laughs> well, because it's interesting. I'm thinking of like Pedro Pascal and, and The Mandalorian yeah. too. Like oh, you don't yeah. really, you, it's hard to connect with him so far because he's, you don't, you never see his face. And I right. feel like it's a little bit like that with, um, with Robocop. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little, because you never see the eyes, you never really see the face. So it's interesting to I think see who they might cast for that. It might be interesting to cast a black actor here. If you're going mm-hmm. to go head on into this idea yeah. of police possible injustice or racial profiling here, if you're going to explore that as a theme, you know, uh, Black and Blue kind of did that uh, mm-hmm. recently. Deion Taylor's film uh, uh, with, uh, uh, God, her name escapes me now. And Naomi Harris, right? Naomi Harris, mm-hmm. I think is who it was. She was the lead in that. Her confronting this idea of being a cop trying to expose corruption uh, and confronting that being a black cop in the whole situation. So if you have maybe someone like, I don't know, Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, those are possibilities Ooh, that Michael you can play with there yeah. with because then you have the inherent nature of a, of, of a black cop being turned into RoboCop, him confronting the other cops or confronting criminal crime that adds a lot of complexity and depth i think a studio might be scared to do that but mm. if you're only going to spend 10 20 million it's not a bad gamble to take if you want to really go and capture the uh, subtle inherent uh, if we're going yeah. that route yeah. sterling k brown oh nice that's a great choice absolutely which would be interesting because he's so warm and bubbly in person mm. <laughs> that i think it would be i'd be interested to see him but yeah. having seen waves i think that um yeah, okay, I'm going to go with that. All Sterling right. K. Brown would <laughs> be my choice. I mean, it does seem, you know, there's nothing to confirm that that's the approach that they'll no, take no, to the story no, no, right no, no, now, no, no. but it does seem it sort of the natural um, destination yeah. when you think about the themes and the, the climate of today's environment. Yeah. It does seem they would probably take sort of the watchman approach, so to speak, which mm-hmm. leads me to 
Yaya Abdul Mateen II. That, that was be great okay. Too. I was yeah. Saying, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And if you lean into the humor, you're you're not making it a full like, hey, this is what this is about. It's yeah. more like we're looking at society, and making jokes at society's expense, but also. Subtly exploring what's going on underneath, you know, Verhoeven, for some reason, was able to do that in the 80s, which shocks the hell out of me when you look back at it now, because I used to dismiss his films like crazy until mm. you start analyzing his films. You're mm. like, oh, well, I didn't know you were working on that level. Jesus. Okay, well, we'll see what happens as it goes yeah. along. Uh, Neil Blomkamp was supposed to do one, but he, he, he walked away from it. There was issues about, you know, MGM wanting to go forward with this, him not wanting to go forward as quickly. So uh, do, you think, do you think this was, they were just waiting for, they just had to go forward and wanted to do it? You, do you think Neil Blomkamp was absolutely right when he walked away? I mean, it does seem like, it, what, it was like three months ago yeah. that he said they got to go and yeah. now they're going. Yeah. So that tracks. And I, you know, Neil just can't seem to get the franchises he wants. <laughs> he also seems to have a very specific, like he's one of those directors and filmmakers, and, and I respect him for this, that has, whether it works or not, he has mm. a very distinctive mm. vision and he doesn't yeah. want to compromise. And I think that if if they had asked him in any way to compromise or in, in a direction he didn't want to go, then I think it's probably better that he walked away. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's what happened. I'm just saying that um, it might be a little bit easier to take a filmmaker that doesn't have as much experience under his belt and kind of shape it a little bit. Here's a monkey wrench, uh, or not a monkey wrench, but rather here's something before we move on. What if it's female Robocop? Who would you cast at that point? Ooh. Huh. Now you said Watchmen. I'm just thinking of Regina Hall. I'm so bad at thinking of people. She's unbelievably good. Yeah. Mm. Un- put her in any role, honestly. Okay. Um, or Gene Smart for that oh. matter. I both listen. Um, my Gene Smart love has lasted for decades. Uh, who? That's, a, that's hard for me to think right. of. Female like, Robocop. The, 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 both of the male versions came to me pretty mm, quickly. Mm. Ming Na Wen. Oh. Oh, interesting. You, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. All right. Interesting. She, just watching her for years on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., even yeah. though I've fallen off of that, she's just <laughs> she can really bring a level of, like, she has a deadpan sense of humor, like, delivery, and she's really, she's great. Like, you actually, she's one of those actors you actually believe when she throws a punch, and I right. think that's kind of important in an action movie. I mm-hmm. kind of get tired of seeing action films in which, you don't really believe that the actor could hold their own in a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I feel like sure. she could. So. Yeah, yeah. A lot of cutaways. Yeah. When right. you watch something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Charlize Theron. Terrifying. Mm. I get I would love that. She would scare the hell out of me. <laughs> just I would absolutely a, love that. Yeah. Just have an entire movie of just a just a whole just squadron of just Robocops. Yeah. Just multiple Robocops. Yeah. Um, and then we can just dreamcast anybody we I want. I love it. I got yeah. two choices. I got Gwendolyn Christie. Nice. Oh, great. Ooh. And kind of on the back end, depending on what happens in Mandalorian, Gina Carano. Gina Carano could be interesting. I haven't seen the rest of the episodes of Mandalorian. I've only seen the first two, so I don't know how she is in that. She's made a number of comments that she feels like she's become a better actress having worked with Favreau. Uh, and there's certainly precedent for certain actors kind of discovering mm-hmm. how well they can be later on in their, in their uh, process. And she certainly had that MMA background. That could be an interesting mm-hmm. thing that could come uh, into play. Uh, in other words, Van- I would love to see Evangeline Lilly do it as well. But, oh, but she's, she's great. Wasp, though, so. Gina Torres would be another one. Oh, oh yes. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I like that. Yeah, oh. And uh, Gina Carano's fight scene in Haywire, I think about like all the mm-hmm. time. I haven't seen that movie in probably six years or something, and I wow. still think about how old yeah. is it? Am I losing track yeah. of time? No, no, it's been a while. Okay. Yeah, it's been, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm like, 
Uh, been- but I think about that fight scene mm-hmm. a lot. So she definitely has the physical prowess for a role that doesn't even like. She said she feels she's grown as an actress, mm-hmm. but like the role doesn't demand a tremendous amount of range it anyway. No, it no. demands tremendous delivery and physicality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and soul. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. We saw that when Peter Weller does take the mask off in the original and is you know processing the loss of his wife and his child and his life mm-hmm. so uh, all right let's move on to our, our next uh, story here and this is uh, the star wars and kathleen kennedy or some of you going again well there have been some new comments <laughs> and some uh, she gave an interview to rolling stone where she talked a lot uh, about uh, the future of star wars and she answered some really uh, thoroughly some of these questions about why some directors have left the property she also talked about how much she's enjoyed working with jj abrams how much jj abrams she was hoping jj abrams could have done all three installments, where she sees Feige's film, which she claims to be is a ways off, and when we might see the next Star Wars movie. But what I want to talk about is Kim Masters' article in THR about Kathleen Kennedy and about this interview. Kim Masters is someone I really, really respect, whose work I've read for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Even got the chance to interview her for one of my podcasts, The Cinephiles. We talked about broadcast news with her. She's incredible. Uh, and so to see her break this thing down, I think she brought up a lot of interesting points about uh, the future of Star Wars, about Bob Iger wanting to pick his own person to run this. Because remember, uh, this whole thing happened. Kathleen was pending, Kennedy was picked by George Lucas, I think. Uh, and then uh, the idea of Feige being lined up to possibly uh, run this thing. We talked about this. Uh, I talked about. I sent it to the, my two guests here on the show today to talk about uh, what she points out here. First of all, let's address this: the idea of Bob Iger and Alan Horn wanting to make their own pick. Do you think there's something bubbling underneath the surface here that that is what's going on? And I liken it to like uh, football and sports, not to make it too, but like when an owner comes in or a new GM comes in, they want to select their coach, their own coach. They don't want to be handed a coach. Iger was kind of handed Captain Kennedy here. Do you think that this is something that he wants to uh, do? Alicia, what do you think? Um, yes and no. I, I feel like if things had been maybe a little bit less tumultuous, it wouldn't be as much of an issue. Mm. But I think that the way Kathleen Kennedy kind of runs Lucasfilm is very different than um, the way that they run Disney and and to you know lesser extent Marvel. Mm. Um, I think Kathleen Kennedy, not to take anything away from her, I think she is one of Hollywood's best producers ever. She is a phenomenal producer and has mm. been on board for so many classic films. Um, but she's not really a risk taker. And she's not really the kind of visionary that they need to fully kind of steer this entire mm-hmm. studio. Not in the way, say, like Kevin Feige is. And in recent years, especially since the success of the MCU, I feel like um, Horn and Iger have been a little bit more, they're kind of realizing that they have to kind of evolve and they mm-hmm. have to take risks. And I don't really see that happening in Star Wars. That's kind of the biggest problem. I, I love Star Wars, but that's one of the biggest problems I have right now mm-hmm. is that they play it so safe because they're catering to that nostalgic fan base. And it is hard to walk that line. Like, don't get me wrong. It's very hard to learn when to kind of try something new and when to kind of, you know, be true to the spirit of Mm -hmm. the original. But at this point, I think that they need somebody who, um, will maybe take a few more risks and kind of be a little bit more in line with their kind of overall vision. And I, and I wonder if that's kind of what's happening here is a kind of a clash of, long-term plans yeah kim master says that in her she speculates that in the article that it could be feige or it could be 
John Favreau, which I hadn't really thought about, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, mm-hmm. until she framed it, especially with mm-hmm. the success of, initially the success of Mandalorian, Dave Filoni being involved here. Uh, could this be them grooming uh, Favreau? Because uh, as many of you know, and those of you who don't know, Kathleen Kennedy's mm-hmm. extension is up in 2021, yep. and she has made it clear that they're, they're having a lot of talks. The next film is not till 2022, which is a year after her extension, if she doesn't sign an extension. So do you think that's what's happening here? That She's like... Doing good brand saving, do good face saving, good PR work here, um, and then they're going to move on. And she senses they're going to move on. Do you think to Favreau or Filoni? What do you think? It's certainly possible. The idea of Favreau is really peculiar. Not mm. because I don't like his work. I'm very much a fan of most of his work, and I think he's one of our best crowd pleasing filmmakers, bar none. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because his role in the industry and what he does is so very different from what Kevin Feige does and what mm. Kathleen Kennedy does, mm. like he is a filmmaker, he's an actor, he writes he does his netflix cooking shows like he's not solely focused on producing in the way that those two are when you think of like the sort of producers that take hold of a massive uh i don't franchise enterprise whatever um so i'm not sure i buy that okay just because i don't feel like not that he's not qualified but almost like that's not what he does necessarily Mm -hmm. i could see him being more of the the whedon and then the russo brothers of what you know, taking the helm of the Marvel for for a time and then passing mm-hmm. the baton. Um, as for Kathleen Kennedy, when I, you know, reading this report, there's a lot of, it's all speculation, yeah, essentially. Right, it's a speculative report. It We all knew her contract was mm-hmm. ending anyway, mm-hmm. or her contract extension. Uh, so there's nothing in it that makes me go, yep. Definitely happening. Okay. I think, of course, they're having those conversations, as you do any time a contract is coming to an end, mm-hmm. especially, again, with such a massive franchise and company. Yeah. yeah. But I, I haven't... I, I'm, I, I see what you mean about needing to take chances, but I also, like... The Last Jedi just happened, and I, I do get why she might have pulled back on taking chances in the aftermath. I totally get that. Mm. I think... I think the Star Wars saga is kind of untouchable, but it's ending. And so I think you need to take chances. Like, could you ever imagine them doing a Star Wars, like what Taika Waititi did with Ragnarok and just going full zany comedy? Like I could not conceive of that in Star Wars as it stands now. I wouldn't mind seeing, um, and this is really unconventional, but maybe that's what you need for Star Wars. I wouldn't mind seeing Favreau and Dave Filoni kind of tag team running Mm. Lucasfilm. Yeah, yeah. Because I think Dave Filoni... Uh, he's he's truly the unsung hero of the Star Wars world. Yep. Star Wars fans know that. Most other fans don't. And and he's he, I think, has a little bit more of the experience that you would need to kind mm-hmm. of have, because he's kind of the creative visionary for the, the TV right. and animated end of things, which have been amazing. Yeah. So... But as a yeah. as a protege of George Lucas, do you think he can bring that change that you you're hoping to see? He's he's doing the Mandalorian. He and Favreau, do, you know, developed that. Mm-hmm. So, and that's very different than anything we've seen. So, I think there are going to be growing pains. Like, yeah. once, no matter what, I think the Skywalker saga is done. It's coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that no matter what, you're going to have some growing pains, especially because you don't have like Marvel the whole backlog of comic books and, you know, source material to kind of fall back on. There's stuff to dip into. um, But a lot of this they're kind of doing from scratch. So I think that's what Kim Master speculates about. She Mm -hmm. says like, you know, she, and she flat out says that Kathleen is not a creative producer. It's not Mm -hmm. her forte, right? Mm -hmm. Because she had Spielberg kind of doing that. And then her and Frank Marshall 
uh, shepherding his film. So mm-hmm. there's, there is a possibility depending on what, because maybe that's why she was the perfect person for this transition in the Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Out of Lucas into this Disney area, wrapping up the Skywalker saga. Mm-hmm. And now that we have to create a bunch of new stuff, because uh, a Mandalorian is going back to the uh, to a time period mm-hmm. that we know it's set right after Jedi and before Force Awakens, so it's still a kind of relative time period that we've been around with these films. If we're going to start going Knights of Old Republic, if we're going to start going light years into the future, and I don't know if Ryan Johnson's going to still do his trilogy, he's been kind of half in, half out in some of the comments as well. And with Benioff and Weiss being jettisoned, uh, I don't know where we go here. Uh, and so it seems to make sense, and I'm getting the vibe personally. That they're doing. I think Kathleen Kennedy, if she walks away at 2021, has nothing to hang her head about. She can go look at these box office results. <laughs> yeah, were there issues with some directors? Sure. Uh, but she said in Rolling Stone, uh, when asked, asked about it, and you guys should definitely read this interview. It's a fantastic interview from mm-hmm. her, for her. Every one of these movies is a particularly hard nut to crack. There's no source material. We don't have comic books. We don't have 800 oh, page novels. Yeah. Right. It's mm-hmm. her shot at like, you know, Game of Thrones and stuff. We don't have anything, or Lord of the Rings. We don't have anything other than passionate storytellers who get together and talk about what the next iteration might be. We go through a really normal development process that everybody else does you start by talking to filmmakers who you think exhibit the sensibilities that you're looking for and i would argue that the list is very small people who really do have the sensibilities about these kind of movies and then the experience and the ability to handle how enormous a job these movies are so we try to be as thoughtful as we possibly can about making those choices i would also argue that sometimes people get involved in the normal development process and then they realize oh my god this is so much more than i ever imagined (laughs) so it's pretty common that when you're working on movies you're not making choices and decisions that necessarily work out exactly the way you want from the get-go so i thought this was a very reasoned, logical mm-hmm. response, something the internet sometimes rejects sometimes. Wow. Uh, and I really appreciated her giving a very thorough response because she could have dismissed it and said, hey, some things just don't work out sometimes. That's all. But she went into it because I think she understands this is the one thing that people want to keep dinging her about. So why not give a very thorough answer about it that seems very logical mm-hmm. and intelligent? It's tough. Like, I mean... Look, like fans are going to say what they want to say, sure. and, and they they have a right and to. They have, like, a right. Yes. they have a right to. Absolutely. But it's really she's right. It's really hard to find directors that can handle vehicles of this size and this magnitude with this this mm-hmm. impact. Um, you know, you'll have fans saying like, "Let the directors and filmmakers do what they want," and sometimes it works. Sometimes you mm-hmm. get like a Todd Phillips Joker or a James Mangold's like Logan. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but. At the same time, look at how many movies that we've tried that have been the keys to this giant franchise have kind of been handed to this uh, new smaller indie director with not a whole lot of experience doing something this big. Um, and they, they just they couldn't handle it. And the yeah. movie was mediocre or they cracked under pressure and they had to be replaced. So, you know, I think, I think James Gunn kind of started that trend when he did Guardians of the Galaxy and he kind of set that precedent. Everybody thought, well, we'll just do that. Yeah. And it's like, but... There are very few filmmakers like James Gunn who can so easily step from small indie and like horror to this huge space opera Marvel movie. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I do think that that fans and even, you know, us film critics and journalists sometimes need to give Kathleen Kennedy a little bit more credit for just how hard her job has been yeah. since she stepped into that role. So I, I love that answer. I haven't read that interview yet, but I think she really is honest there and she's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, she was asked about how, 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 have you thought about how much longer you'd like to keep doing what you're doing, right? She says, I've really enjoyed this. I have to say it's been incredibly exciting. And just the fact that George asked me to do this, I felt a tremendous responsibility with stepping in and taking care of the franchises, franchise. And if there were going to be new movies to really pull a team around this that cared as much as he did. What happens in the future and how long, how much longer I do this? I don't know yet. 
I'm looking at all of that. This is, this is a very reasoned answer. It's been incredibly satisfying to reach this point that we've completed the saga and I think made a really wonderful movie. It's going to feel very satisfying to the audience, so that's what I'm focused on right now at the moment. And what the future holds, who knows? So it seems to me, Haley, like she's being very circumspect about this. Yeah, well, again, I think I hate to be the most repetitive, boring person, but I think these are the Mm. kinds of things people say when contract negotiations are happening, when a contract is coming up um, Mm. at its end. That said, it doesn't sound like she's trying to beat down the door and press to make it happen. And I think from, you know... I think it can be hard to imagine, like, why would you want to do anything other than Star Wars? But if you look at her resume, it's such, like, a varied and, mm-hmm. and expansive mm-hmm. resume. And mm-hmm. she spent this, like, last chunk of her life doing one thing. Yeah. Maybe she wants to do other things. Get yeah. back into, like, awards dramas or all mm-hmm. her various sci-fi films. There's a lot that... It's it's a lot to ask um, one of the greatest producers to just do one thing for this long. Mm-hmm. And and maybe not expect them to want to do something else after a while. Well, I think this goes to your point you made earlier about Favreau. Favreau has uh, his irons in many fires. Yes. And so to ask him to just, you know, kind of centralize on just Star Wars, and that's what you have to do. You cannot go and do multiple <laughs> things while you're focusing on Star Wars because that's the first thing the fans are going to ding you about. The second there's something wrong or you lose a director or a film comes out that isn't good, well, because you were distracted doing, a, doing your chef show. Who cares about your <laughs> chef show? This is Star Wars. I do. Well, I'm just saying that's yeah. people react to it you know yes. they'd be like oh who cares about ship show this is star wars mm-hmm. uh so yeah th- this makes it it goes back to that i like that idea that well maybe he's not so i go to mm-hmm. alicia's idea that maybe they work together in tandem mm-hmm. feloni and him mm-hmm. but i still believe that they're just lining feige up so i, I was like i was just gonna say because here's that way right? and here's what's interesting too because so now feige's getting into it doing one movie right yeah but, um, you know, and Marvel fans are kind of like, oh, Feige's going to be with Marvel forever. I'm like, not true. Like, Feige right. himself said in a recent interview, he's like, every couple of years, I think about doing something else yeah. and walking away. Feige loves Marvel, but fans also don't realize that Feige has not just been with Marvel since Iron Man. He's been yeah. with Marvel for everything, yeah. for Raimi Spider-Man films, for all the Fox uh, X-Men films, for the Fantastic Four, like all of it. Mm-hmm. He was a producer on all of those. So he's been with Marvel for what, 20? Yeah. Thir- 25 years. And as somebody who is a huge Marvel fan, you know, um, I don't know if I'd want to be with the same yeah. creative IP for my entire life. And, and so Feige himself has said, like, I don't know if I'm going to be staying with this. And I could absolutely see Feige stepping into that and kind of, you know, I think, think there are enough people with Marvel now maybe that they can not completely pass the torch, yeah. but start phasing it out and start phasing him into Star Wars. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that either. Yeah, and we can't be simplistic about this. Mm-hmm. And I know fans want to be like, oh, this happened, this happened. There's so much going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And they will, to me, the announcement of Feige doing a Star Wars film was a trial balloon to see how the fans reacted, see what they're, if they were excited about it. And, you know, Kathleen Kennedy in the interview says that Feige came to her and was like, or came to them and was like, hey, I'd like to do a Star Wars movie. But then she says it's ways off. And I think her saying ways off is her way of saying it'll happen down the road. 
But it's probably going to happen when Feige takes over Star Wars <laughs> and makes it happen in his own way. And I think that's her way of kind of like, it's coded language. I always try to look at the coded language of these responses and these comments because this is the level that people play mm-hmm. at when they're at this level in Hollywood or any business. Coded language is a huge part of it. So we'll see what happens. I personally, mm-hmm. uh, I've, you know, initially <laughs> I had some issues with Kathleen and, and the stuff with the directors. But as this has gone on, I've become more, um, I don't know, I've had a more larger view of it. And you have to have nothing but respect for what she was able to do. Because mm-hmm. how many of you that are criticizing her could barely handle doing one movie, let alone a crap ton of movies and the books and the TV shows and the animated series mm-hmm. and the comic books? It's a lot. And the video games it's a lot to be under but, your control so I, I, yeah. I think at the end of the day she'll have nothing to hang her head about when she walks away and I do believe she will walk away in 2021 she's done what she needs to do and brought it back into the forefront into prominence and made a lot of money for mm-hmm. Disney uh, alright let's uh, move on to some uh, quick promos here uh, let's take a look at this first one from Ryan Satin and Pro Wrestling Sheet what's up Collider fans Ryan Satin here from ProWrestlingSheet.com where you can find the top stories throughout the week in the world of professional wrestling if you're a wrestling fan like myself then you'll be doing yourself a disservice by not checking out all the shows we do every week on YouTube.com slash C slash Wrestling Sheet in particular on Wednesdays we've got a Smackdown recap show hosted by John Roca and myself where we pick apart and, and talk about every little thing that happened on the blue brand so do yourself a favor and go subscribe at youtube.com slash c slash wrestling sheet well there you go my boy ryan said we're not doing the recaps anymore on smackdown or raw which is sad for me but i'm very happy for him doing his stuff over at wwe backstage but he's still doing his show the pro wrestling sheet radio show which i will be on today at five o'clock with him and then we'll see when he drops it but also let's take a look at some other content here and that's verbally from me Ken Napsok, the new leader of Collider Jedi Council, along with Emma Five, along with uh, Ace Cabrera. They will be on uh, ne- uh, later on today with a new episode of Collider Jedi Council. Look at those pretty faces. I haven't seen Ken smile like that in 20 years. It's so incredible how happy he is to be leading the new uh, crew here into uh, the future and the next phase of Collider Jedi Council. So watch that show later on today. All right, let's move on to our last show uh, item, rather. And this is Alicia's favorite item because it's got to do with Dracula. Uh, this yes. uh, Rocket oh. Man. There you go. <laughs> I didn't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Shout out to that shirt again. Uh, Rocket Man's Dexter Fletcher. That's why the gentleman who directed that and also stepped in for Brian Singer on Bohemian Rhapsody. By the way, I watched the last 20 minutes of Bohemian Rhapsody the other day. Still one of the most incredible 20 minutes of film I've ever seen. In term- if you enjoy uh, that Live Aid. Was it Live Aid? Is that what it was called? I think it was called Live Aid. I'm mm-hmm. so old, I forget sometimes. Anyway, he's tackling a new challenge here into the Universal Monsters. This is so brilliant of Universal. So subtle. Like, man, eh, just go do this for a little while. Go do this, Lee went out with Invisible Man. It's very chill as opposed to like, bam, Johnny Depp, bam, Tom Cruise, bam, Russell Crowe. This is more of a subtle approach to it and a brilliant approach to it. Smaller budgets, which could lead to bigger profits. All of this is brilliant. You get people involved in this who like doing a smaller type approach to films about larger topics. Uh, certainly Rocketman is one of my favorite films from this past year that people don't give enough love to. So I'm excited to see Dexter Fletcher tackle this. But... It is a Dracula movie, but with a twist. Mm-hmm. It's through Renfield's interpretation. Of course, last time I saw Renfield was Tom Waits in the Dracula film from Francis Ford Coppola, or even Artie Johnson in uh, A Love at First Bite, for those old enough to remember that film. But Ryan Ridley from Rick and Morty is writing the script. It's based on an original pitch from Robert Kirkman of Walking the Walking Dead fame. It's going to be produced uh, by uh, Skybound Entertainment, along with David Albert, uh, Brian First, and Sean First. All right. 
Renfield is a, a, was an inmate at a lunatic asylum who was thought to be suffering from delusions, but was actually a servant of Dracula. And rather than being a period piece, this is going to take place in present day. Alicia, are you excited about this new approach into the Dracula story? Yes, okay. for like a thousand reasons. Um, <laughs> I, I've argued for years now when, when Universal said they wanted to get into the whole, you know, kind of um, extended, you know, uh, interconnected universe yeah, game. And I was universe, like, yeah. I said... Oh man, why are they doing these huge action movies? Make them horror. You can do an interconnected universe with horror movies. Right. Horror is huge. Like, make them small budget. And then it was like, it didn't work. And then years later, now they're doing exactly what I have said they should do for, for ages. And so I love that they're doing this now. Um, I also love that they're, they're, I'm a sucker. So my background is in lit and mm-hmm. like I have a whole background in teaching literature and everything. And I love, when classical stories are taken and kind of flipped around and they're told from the perspective of a, one of the supporting characters. So I kind of really like that they're doing an end to Dracula from his, you know, kind of his lackey and his minion. Um, it's a really interesting mm. team behind it. So you have Dexter Fletcher, who's known for musicals. You have Robert Kirkman, who's best known for horror and especially The Walking Dead. And then you have, you know, somebody from Rick and Morty. So I'm like, is this going to be like a dark comedy musical horror? <laughs> like I... Um, but it's a really great team. Yeah. It's a really interesting team, and I, I'm, I'm with that with uh, Lee Wanell's like Invisible Man, and with how they're going with these smaller, kind of weirder, quirkier filmmakers. Mm. I'm like, I'm excited for it. I'm really intrigued to see what what they'll do with this. Yeah, and I think Fletcher's doing Sherlock Holmes three. So right, oh, is that is. right? So mm-hmm. I mean, he so he certainly. He's a, he does have an interest in other genres and other mm-hmm. approaches to things. I find this to be a fascinating team to put together. And it could, I don't know if it's Renfield the musical, but I like the idea. Of, <laughs> I mean, I like the, I like the idea of Rocky using, Horror Picture Show too. I'm kind yeah, of yeah, it's not bad. I like the give me the insects. I like the idea of it through his eyes. What how we see Dracula, his experience, mm-hmm. and if they're doing modern day, then I wouldn't be surprised if there's an allusion to Renfield in Lee Winnell's Invisible Man. Uh, do you like this approach? You'd like Dexter Fletcher stepping into this situation? Like, does, it make, does this excite you about retelling the Dracula story again? Yes, mm. so much more than I mean. Look, I love Dracula movies. Mm. There are probably literally thousands of them. It's an insane amount of Dracula movies on the market. Not aware mm. of too many Renfield movies, <laughs> so that sounds way cooler to me. Yeah. And I, I also I just think that you know what especially what we've seen them try to do with Dracula over the last like 20 years is not usually panned out very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, this is, this is much more interesting to me. And I also, I, I do wonder what, like what becomes the role of the iconic character in that context? Mm-hmm. Like how much is Dracula in the film? How is he portrayed? Is he scarier from Renfield's perspective than right. from his own perspective? Those are all interesting factors to me. And I, I also, I think probably everyone in our horror community was yeah. like, make them horror movies, you fools. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very, very gratified to see that happening. But I'm also excited that they've got, uh, what's it called, Dark Army or something with mm. Paul Feig directing? And, yes. and mm-hmm. he's a very hard to pin down filmmaker who, who walks mm-hmm. through tone and genre right. often quite elegantly. Uh, Spy is wonderful. I yes. also love The Heat, and I think The Heat is a mm-hmm. super underrated buddy cop comedy. It really is. I don't disagree. Uh, it has one of my favorite jokes the last 10 years. Ooh. The albino joke when he says to him, he goes, uh, are you okay? You look a little, you look a little pale. 
That joke broke me in half in the theater. Oh yeah, when he when she <laughs> says that, to, yeah, that I had to run across the island to keep laughing to keep away from. All, the most of her delivery in that film is pretty exceptional. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But I like that all of his movies embrace different recognizable genres. I haven't seen Last Christmas yet, but again, Christmas rom com. I loved it. Very I, familiar. I loved Simple Favors. Another one. Oh, yeah. it was. You know what. I'm in for cheesy rom-coms. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, Alicia. It was so good. And Simple Favor, which I really did not want to watch. I'm like, no, Blake Lively, no, no, no. Even though I loved her in uh, 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 the Shark movie. The Shallows was great. I was like, no, no, no. And then I watched it. I was like, damn, this was Mm -hmm. good. It gets me excited for her film in January coming out as well, that action film she has. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Paul Feig, a lot of different interesting choices. So these are, I like that they're choosing these directors that have a strong fan base within the independent film community and some of the mainstream film community so you understand what you're getting when you're walking into this and excites you, don't you think? I, I, I do think you sort of understand what you're getting, but I also think that part of the appeal of all three filmmakers is their ability to subvert what you think you're going to get from a genre. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, even Lee Winnell, like, if you go back and watch Saw, Saw is probably not the movie you think it is based on your memory of the franchise. Saw mm. is a, a detective noir, but he junked it all up with some real nasty horror stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Insidious is, is a very classic haunted house movie until it's not, and it's also weirdly funny half right. the time. Right. So I just like that all these filmmakers... Dexter Fletcher, we don't have as many films on his mm. resume that aren't from an acting perspective, but... Rocket Man is a very inventive musical approach to a biopic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the same, and maybe less inventive, but very tonally singular. Eddie the Eagle is a very interesting yes. approach yeah. to the sports movie. I forgot yes. he did that. Yeah. So they're all, that they all have um, access to genre storytelling in a way that you do sort of know what you're going to get with them. They have a, a resume of proven films. Mm-hmm. But you never quite, you cannot quite predict what their read on the subject matter will be. I think the overall thing you take away is quality yeah. all th- mm-hmm. with all three of them. A lot of examples of quality in multiple genres. So why not see what a Renfield film? And yeah, also, sure. it can lean itself to an unreliable narrator. If he's a, 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 yeah. in the lunatic asylum, mm-hmm. it's an unreliable Or it could even touch on mental health issues, which has been really prevalent nowadays in films and television. One of the most interesting books I ever read um, in school, my, mm-hmm. my past life in academia, um, was Wide Sargasso Sea. So, oh, yeah. Um, anybody that's read Jane Eyre, you know, knows that she, in the end, marries Mr. Rochester. Spoilers. Uh, marries Mr. <laughs> Rochester. For but an over-century-old book. You know, but he has his, like, crazy, you know, wife locked up in the attic. But Wide Sargasso Sea by Jean Rhys is um, told from her perspective, his wife's, Antoinette's perspective, mm. um, before she even meets him. And so it kind of shows how she descends into madness and how mm. he pushes her along into that just by neglect and um just not treating her well and so it's a really interesting kind of spin on like oh this is the character that was just written off as crazy in the first Mm -hmm. in the original novel and now she's allowed to tell her story so i think that's a really interesting way of framing and reframing old stories and so i'm really fascinated to see because maybe you do something where yeah he is a very unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. or maybe he's completely sane but Everybody, nobody thinks he is, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. like like a uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead is a mm-hmm. fantastic uh, new way into Hamlet. I would love to see. I think there's a, there is an Ophelia book told from her perspective, mm-hmm. I think, or a play told from her perspective mm-hmm. about the Hamlet story. So 
having other characters speak about uh, a, a subject you've already seen or, or a play or a book you've already experienced, I think is a new and interesting way to go into it. So we'll see if it works. Either way, Dexter Fletcher Renfield coming soon. We'll see what happens with that. I, all of us seem to be very excited to see what they can do with this. And shout out to Universal for take for course correcting and not mm-hmm. like, you know, not like making it a big deal. They just understood they made some mistakes here with the Dark Universe. Course correct. Still thought they had some something good to salvage and they're doing it in an interesting and new way. So mm-hmm. I like it. I think my favorite thing about it is there's no way, 0%, any time last week, anyone was like, what news do you think is going to break last right. week? Like, <laughs> nobody would have guessed that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let's get into some live chat questions. Uh, Dorian picked out some for us to answer before we wrap up here today. Rick's Amoris goes, and I don't know if this is going to work. I have a question. Do you want to see Miranda back on the reboot of Lizzie McGuire? Does anybody watch Lizzie McGuire on this Hell table? Hell yeah. Why yes. bring back Lizzie if you're not bringing back Miranda? And they got Gordo already, so make it happen, guys. Yes, firm answer. I am so old for this conversation. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> Miranda was her friend, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, funky hair, dude. <laughs> yeah, sure. Bring back Miranda. Yeah. I'm oh, Team Miranda. Right. There we go. I've never seen the show. I'm just happy uh, Lizzie's back. I, I got love, you. I love Hillary Duff. She's the best. All right. Uh, MK Somberg uh, is, is asking, Todd Phillips came out via IndieWire and denied the THR report of meeting with Emmerich as well as any contracts in place for a sequel. Do you think the THR article was sourced poorly or did they jump the gun? Tough question. I don't think it was sourced poorly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's THR and it's uh, uh, Tatiana, so she tends not to, like, if it's her, if it's Boris Kit, like, they tend to do their work. Yeah, especially THR. Yeah, so yeah. I, it, it, I think it probably goes back to what Haley was saying before, is this is kind of, you don't, you're not going to talk about contract negotiations. Yeah. We're in the middle of contract negotiations, mm-hmm. and so it's always the song and dance, like, well, there have been talks, but nothing concrete, but blah, 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 blah. I mean... We've seen Ewan McGregor talk, you know, on his his rounds about how he's had to sit on Obi Wan Kenobi coming back and being in talks with Disney for literally years. So mm-hmm. there are also people who just straight up lie and admit yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like Taika Waititi will lie to you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, in a on the record interview, mm-hmm. and then like in the next interview, he'll be like, "Oh, I made that up. That's not true." Wow. Like they just because it's not yeah. their like. They're supposed to keep secrets. Yeah. That's part of their job. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always and I always bristle at another outlet countering another outlet so firmly and so vehemently and uh, like like Deadline did towards THR. Our sources say it's flat false, and it's mm-hmm. I think it's a dangerous thing to walk. Um, but you know, these are the battles that go on uh, with uh, outlets sometimes. Uh, this was from IndieWire. Todd Phillips says, I can honestly say to you, there was no meeting that ever happened on October 7th where I marched in. First of all, if you know me and my career, that's not my style. I made a huge comedy at Warner Brothers The Hangover, and I didn't suddenly become a comedy factory producer. Like, oh, let's just turn out movies. Bradley Cooper and I have a production company at Warner's. I've been at Warner's for 14, 15, 16 years. We have two things in development at all times, not 40 things like some people speculated. I'm not the kind of guy who goes marching in saying, I want these 40 tiles. I just don't have the energy. When I asked them, when I pitched them Joker, it wasn't a movie. It was, let's do a whole label they shut that down quickly and i get it who am i to walk in and start a label at a film studio but they said let's do this one so that's kind of readjusting the the commentary mm-hmm. here so uh, we'll see also not a no not a no not exactly, exactly. Like, extremely yeah. long way to not say no yeah. in fact. Also, <laughs> and to be like i'm not yeah. a, i did not a comedy factory but he did make three hangover movies yeah, right. so yeah, like i'm not point. sure yeah. where you're getting there i also think it's smart of warner brothers <laughs> to kind of keep a lid on things yeah. i think their problem for a really long time wasn't a product problem it was a pr problem yeah. because everything leaked yes and so i think there are 
smarter to be like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Like we, we those talks never happen. So yeah, I think that's smart. It's certainly possible, Alicia, that like some sources leaked this to THR. THR ran with it, and then other sources that Warner Brothers sent out went to Deadline and said, hey. Uh, this is not true. This didn't happen, blah, 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 to kind of counter the narrative and throw mm-hmm. everything uh, uh, up in the air so that people don't know because they're still negotiating this yep. stuff. Mm-hmm. That's certainly, certainly possible. We've seen that happen. Uh, J. Scott Farrell goes, uh, which talents from Noah Hawley's Fargo Legion Bones alumni should he tap to appear in his Star Trek film? Mm-hmm. Haley has mentioned Gene Smart. Always, always mm-hmm. bring in Gene Smart for <laughs> anything. Um, also, f- anyone from the cast of Legion would be great. Aubrey Plaza is amazing. Dan Stevens is amazing. Jemaine Clement is amazing. Mm-hmm. All of them would be wonderful. Particularly, I'd like to see Jemaine Clement play like a, a, a weird alien type creature. I could see that. Yes. Um, so no disrespect to Fargo, but I guess I just really yeah. like that cast. <laughs> he certainly did it in, in Black, Men in Black 3. Patrick uh, Patrick Wilson, Fargo season two. He should Ooh. also be in everything. Okay. Yes. Everything. Patrick Wilson makes everything better. Yeah. I also am just, I know I already mentioned him, but I'm such a Ewan McGregor fan. Like, um, I just... Mm-hmm. I'm so glad we're here from the McGregor songs. Like, I really am. I'm trying to make that phrase happen. It's, yeah. it's not happening so far. It doesn't but. flow quite as well as the McConaughey. It doesn't. It doesn't. We'll workshop it. I'd like to throw we'll Rachel Keller in there. I always think she gets mm-hmm. unfairly oh, looked yeah. over in Legion. I yeah. have been a fan of her since oh, Fargo, Fargo season Sorry, not, two. Not I think Fargo season two, she was in Fargo season two, and then they moved her over into Legion. Uh, and I, I enjoy her, her work very much. Um, yeah. Another one that could jump from... Fargo is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Sure. I'd like to see mm-hmm. her uh, be a part of the Star Trek universe. That could be interesting. She doesn't get enough love as an actress. Uh, those could be interesting choices. Honestly, his shows have really good casting. They so do. So just yeah. close your eyes and point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, Fair point. Yeah. Fair point. Uh, all right. Our last question here to wrap up. Uh, let's see. It's Rick's Amoris. What other 80s film or series would you want to see get a reboot in the style that's being pitched for Robocop? That they're picking up right after mm. the last film. Or the first film, rather. The Breakfast Club. Ooh, interesting. Now, wait. A new Breakfast Club or them now? They're the parents. And now it's you follow their kids dealing with all the stuff that modern kids are dealing with Mm -hmm. now with school shootings and with race relations and with, uh, you know, social media and revenge porn and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, do Breakfast Club, but set it now and have them be the parents. Now, can you have a Breakfast Club where the nerds are the jocks? The nerds are the popular kids at the school yeah, now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, make it because kids. kids still have massive problems. They're just very different than what yeah. it was in the 80s. So I think you can make a really interesting movie that kind of shows, you know, kind of a classic like you did sure. back in the 80s with Breakfast Club. But yeah. then take that whole crew, make them the parents and their kids be the ones that get stuck in detention or somewhere together. Tackle that cancel culture thing as well mm-hmm. that goes on in high schools. Mm-hmm. What do you say there, Haley? It's a really interesting pick. My mind wasn't there at all. I was like, mm, what is a franchise that went way off track? But that didn't lead me to anything. So I'm mm. just going to say uh, Big Trouble in Little China because I want to mm. – I want to. is that what they're doing though? Did I just like – There's that, rumors that The Rock is going to redo it, yes. Okay, I don't, I don't want that. No, I want to see like <laughs> Kurt Russell come back. Okay. And, and have another ridiculous <laughs> adventure. And yeah, I know. And in fact, <laughs> don't you dare. <laughs> not touch him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's my pick. I want to see okay. it get weird. And you, you can't make that movie the same way in 2019. So that would be an interesting challenge to watch them confront. Although I do think that, that, that film is actually 
uh, shockingly smart about race and the way that actually he's he's not the hero. Yeah, he's he not the hero. He just doesn't realize all. he's the sidekick. Yeah, yeah at all. Uh, I mean, when he shoots out the ceiling and knocks ah. himself out, it's a brilliant moment. Yeah. Beautiful. It took a while for me to come around to that movie. I resisted uh, it for a very, very long time. Huge mistake. Yeah, very much so. We shook the pillars of heaven, Wayne. Um, <laughs> here's two things for you. The Lost Boys. I'd love to see them uh, do a Lost ooh, Boys yeah. sequel. They've been kicking that around for so, so long, picking up from now. You, Jason Patrick's still around. Certainly uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's still around. There's a lot of people. I don't know if Corey Feldman, if you want Corey Feldman involved, but maybe. But certainly it'd be fun to kind of pick up where they left off there. Mm-hmm. And Gremlins. Can you pick up right after the original Gremlins, <laughs> exclu- ing- ignore the new batch, uh, and, and just pick up from there? I think... I know Phoebe Cates is still around. I don't know if is it Zachary. I forget the yeah. the the lead guy's name, but he might be. I'm sure he's still kicking around. So that might be fun to explore. Then can we have Key fine. and Peele get together and do another classic yeah, exactly. Key and Peele sketch about Gremlins three, which would be amazing. Talk about the Gremlins. Uh, anyway, all right. Well, that's our uh, live episode of Clyde and Movie Talk for this lovely Thursday morning. Hope you're having a great day, and we're helping you start out your day with this, uh, uh, you know, uh, unique brand of humor and intellectual conversation. I want to thank these two amazing ladies for joining me today. Thank you, Haley Fouch. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Alicia Grasso. Thanks. Where can they find the stuff you do, Alicia? Uh, they can find me at adamtickets.com/slash/movie-news, um, and you can find me on Twitter uh, with my screen name. It's just my name. Yeah, so. that's right. That's uh, Alicia with an. S- S-H, not a C-I-A. Uh, yes. uh, Haley, where can they find you? Got anything coming up? Do you writing? Any big feature you're working on to look for? Ooh, a big feature? Mm. Well, Collider's going to be pushing out its... Uh, Collider.com, I should say, is going to be pushing out our, our best of the decade content Ooh, over the nice. Thanksgiving holiday season. Nice. And... That has ruined my life for like two weeks. So that's, that's really all I have room for in my brain. Um, Fair enough. But yes, yeah, so you can find me on Collider.com and at Haley Fouch on the Twitters and at Haystack McGroovy on that's Instagram. Right. And Witching Hour every week with her oh, yeah. and Perry hey, Emeroff. That's, that's they, a they thing have a I co-host. There. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you can follow me at The Rogue Says on Twitter and on Instagram. Don't forget there's a new deep cut coming out tomorrow. Scott Brooks uh, will be my guest. He is the producer for The Report. We sat down at his house in Venice to have a conversation for an hour about his process in creating that film, which is a fantastic film uh, with Adam Driver and Annette Benning. Shout out to Adam Smith there in the booth for switching Ooh. with us. Shout out to Thad and Dorian who are in the chat. And don't forget Collider Live coming to you eight in eight minutes live. Collider Live there with uh, uh, Roxy Stryer, Adrena uh, uh, Riley, and assorted other guests throughout the two hours. So go enjoy that and we'll talk to you tomorrow morning for another live episode of Collider Move Talk at 9 a.m. PT. Take care until then. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save $25. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. Stay little chico, pit bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. 
All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 